Today on Never Was a Gamer, who knew there was a licensed game based on Voyage of the Dawn Treader? Welcome to Never Was a Gamer, the show where a late-blooming gamer makes up for lost time playing everyone else's formative games. I'm Michelle, and with me as always is the Lakitu that sometimes throws spiky shells at me and sometimes helps turn me around when I'm going the <laughs> wrong way, Dimitri. Hi. Um, before we get going, please explain your, your intro. I'm clearly not sophisticated enough to get your, your references. I can't believe that you are not literary enough to recognize... <laughs> Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which is one of the Narnia books. So in this one, they're like at their dorky cousins or something like that. And they have to get to Narnia by going into a painting of this boat that is the Dawn Treader. And that's essentially the only thing I remember from any of the Narnia books, of which I read all of them when I was a kid. <laughs> just in case you think my memory has gotten worse and not just always been bad. <laughs> so... Uh, you haven't figured it out already. We're doing Super Mario 64 today. And I really hope it, that's the one where you jump through paintings. I mean, it cause... turns out Michelle has clearly knows the game. Yes. So yes. Uh, good night, everybody. We're, we're done. Yes. Always was a gamer. <laughs> no, we're doing Super Mario 64. I'm so excited. This is easily top five games for me Whoa. of all time. Yeah. I, I'm that... very, very excited for you to play this. I'm very, very worried you're not going to love it. <laughs> Is this your favorite game of the ones that we've done so far on the pod? Yes. Whoa. Easily. Okay. Let me get my uh, my rose-colored glasses ready <laughs> for this. <laughs> I think there are some things you will not like about it. Uh-oh. So I'll try to prepare you for that. Okay. But let's all go into this with an open mind and an open heart. And it is the painting one. Yeah, it is It is the painting one. How do you know that? Uh, I think like, like the answer is usually when you ask, how do you know that? I think I saw a speed run. Okay. I think I saw a uh, games done quick where they did something might've been a race even okay. in this. Yeah. So I have like, yeah, there's like a castle and a painting and that that's a lot of it. I do like how like speed running, you got like accelerated course through games history, yeah. people playing through all the big games really fast. But also like missing 90% of the nuance <laughs> of like what makes them good or what it's like to actually play them. Just like you see two locations really quickly. Um, I guess this is also for you the first time when we're playing a game from a series that you're otherwise pretty intimately familiar with, at least with the earlier ones, right? Um, Yeah, I had a an original Nintendo and a Super NES. So in my house, I, I definitely played Super Mario Brothers 1, Super Mario Brothers 3, um, and Super Mario World and Yoshi's Island. Although I do sometimes have trouble remembering which one is Super Mario Brothers 3 and Super Mario World. That confuses me to this day. <laughs> I don't understand how you get them mixed up. I just don't know which one's which. Like, I know I know the games themselves in, like, a pretty granular way. Like, if you okay. hand me, if you boot one of them up, I can play either of them fine. But I find it hard to remember which one the name is. <laughs> which I feel so stupid saying this right now. Like, I've said a lot of dumb stuff on this show, but this feels extra bad. I just want you to know. World's the one with Yoshi. Okay. Okay. Great. Yeah, the later ones are with Yoshi. Yoshi couldn't be done on the NES. Like that's technically, a, 
But yeah, like, technically. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. They wanted, I think Miyamoto had wanted, maybe even in the original Mario, for him to ride something, some kind of Whoa. horse. I don't think he was a Yoshi yet. Actually, he might. I mean, what is a might Yoshi? Be early design docs, some kind of riding a dinosaur e like okay. or dinosaur like thing. But yeah, it was just kind of too technically complex. Okay. So those only happened on the SNES. And he finally realizes his dream of riding a Yoshi. And then he's so excited he makes Yoshi's Island the second one where you barely have Mario. He's just <laughs> Mario becomes a baby that cries. <laughs> You're demoted. Um yeah, so I I played those and um I played those a lot. I think actually like Super Mario Brothers, uh, one, like the original for uh, original NES. Actually, I don't know if that's the original Mario, but the the one for the NES. Um, I played a lot. It might be the first game that I played a ton of, although it might have been like sort of the same time as Duck Hunt, which I also played. That cartridge just lived in our in our NES for for a long time. And also, this was one that the early games, my mom also played a ton of. You mentioned this way back on our episode zero, that yeah. your, your mom was big into Mario. She loved it. In fact, she was, I think, the first one to beat a Mario game, which I mean, to be fair, like I was like six at this point. So it was not, <laughs> oh, she, like, she was mom. better. It's not well, that impressive, mom. No, it is. It is. She, beat a six-year-old. She legit beat those games. Um, but yeah, and and one, one thing that I realized when I was getting ready for this is like, I have never seen my dad pick up a controller so like that just that makes me even more curious about how these games got into our house in the first place because like my mom's not really the type to like shop and super keep up on the latest tech trends and be like "Ooh, we got to get that fancy new thing um so yeah when we eventually somehow get around to figuring out this part of my history i'm very curious about it um but yeah, so we we pretty much we were a Mario house for quite a while. You're like Wolverine, you can't. I need to unlock the <laughs> secrets of my past. <laughs> Where did I come from? You could call your mom. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> okay, so you remember playing Mario as as a family? I guess. Do you have any specific memories from any of them that uh, of? Either what you enjoyed about it or something from the games that really kind of still resonates with you? Yeah. Uh, so a couple of things. I remember, um, I think Mario was my first experience of like finding secrets and like swapping secrets with other people. Like I remember the experience of having, like there's a period when my brothers were in, uh, or one of my brothers was in like a half day kindergarten and I was in elementary school. And so there's like part of the day when they were home and I wasn't and coming home and them having like found a new pipe that you can go down that we didn't know as a house mm. we didn't like know about before uh, and vice versa. Also, I remember like developing like house strategies for playing <laughs> games. Like one of, the, one of the things that really sticks out is in Super Mario Brothers 3, that's the one with the world two that's like a desert with the pyramids and stuff, right? And the and the sun. And the sun. So the sun world. So like no one in my house could handle that sun. That sun was like <laughs> undefeatedly hard for us for some reason. And so we collectively developed this like house strategy where you get one P-Wing, I think by beating the first castle, mm -hmm. and we would save it. Like it was like, didn't even need to be said, every single time, save it for the sun level. You're burning your P-Wings that early? We used it on that level every single time. Everyone in my house did. Like it still shocks oh me goodness. a little bit when I see people not P-Wing through that level. <laughs> you got to hoard them until I the end. I just thought every, no, I, that makes sense to my grown up <laughs> brain. But like at the time, everyone in my house did this. Or like, I remember, I think also 
oh boy, is this in one or three? I think it's in three. Um, you know that part of the level eight where you have to like get across those five tiles and there's the hands that will pop up oh, and yeah, drag yeah, you into the yeah. level? That's in three, yeah. I remember all of us trying to figure out what made the hands grab you or not, like trying to figure out what, like, how do you get across? Mm -hmm. Is there a way to like control it? Like we were, I remember that's like my earliest experience of trying to figure out, okay, like what's a game thinking? Like how do we outsmart this, this thing? (laughs) Yeah. The Mario's were so good. I think for me too, that's the earliest memories I have of this kind of pre-internet communal Mm -hmm, knowledge mm -hmm. that you'd have to figure out. And like I, like for those hands, everybody kind of had theories. None of them were right. probably correct, but everybody has a theory that they think works to get across. I still them feel not sure. Like I think it's just random, but I I don't. I I still feel superstitiously like mm-hmm. there's something you should be able to do that like lets you get across every yeah. time. Yeah, I think that's one of my fondest memories of those games in general. I have such vivid memories of learning a secret from I assume someone. I really don't know. For example, who taught me in world one two you can run across the mm-hmm. ceiling through yeah. those pipes yeah 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 or who taught me about the flute in three yep i assume it's somebody who saw the wizard and then just did it because i don't know how you the just, wizard you know the movie the wizard no okay well make a note that we got to watch that okay. for, the, for the show <laughs> okay or maybe they read it in a, in a magazine but i i definitely remember seeing somebody do that and then it just becomes right part of your understanding of the game and every yeah. time you go through you just kind of build this uh yeah this compendium of knowledge and all of a sudden you're the you're the pro passing it down to a sibling or a cousin yeah later on yeah for me mario was always about secrets and in my mind it's always connected with secrets which i think is one of the reasons that super mario 64 is still one of my favorites Hmm. but super mario world also had such great secrets i remember seeing the commercial for that the structure of the commercial was that it just had more of everything that you liked about Mario. Okay, sure. And one of the things it had more of was more secrets. <laughs> and, and you're like rubbing your hands together yeah, like, yeah. And the image is of Mario like opening one of those keyholes uh-huh. that brings you to, I, I'm pretty sure that's what brings you to the star world. Like a then, secret exit one. If you yeah. beat all those, it brings you to a secret world of really hard levels. Like that was the first one to do that. Um, what else was it about the Mario games, the Mario platformers that you played that you that you liked? I mean, it's hard for me to say without being totally like apocryphal about this because I really like I I didn't have a sophisticated set of tastes or like language for what I liked about stuff when I was a kid. Right. I just was like, this is fun. I I remember playing those games for a long time, like even after we got the the Super Nintendo, I think we still sometimes played the Mario's on the original Nintendo. Like they had a, a good long lifespan and. I don't know. They're just fun. They're just Mm -hmm. like the controls are tight and everything like feels good and it feels like an accomplishment to get through spaces. I mean, I like I don't want to put words in younger me's mouth, but um, it's just like, why wouldn't you like these games? It just feels so um, inevitable that you would like it. Yeah, I mean, we probably have an intuitive sense of what of why we liked it, even though maybe we couldn't have articulated Mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. that at that point. Like for me, thinking back, I think it was and why Mario resonated with me more than other platformers, especially something like a Sonic, mm-hmm. which are some of the only Genesis games I I played when I was younger and never really grew to love, mm-hmm. um, is I think because Mario has somehow has this perfect balance between the momentum-based platforming. Right. So you can just, and I do love oh, doing yeah. this, just kind of holding down the run button. Oh, and just, yeah kind of hopping and jumping your way yeah. through a level as quickly as possible. And 
building the sense of momentum and the controls being so tight and responsive. So whenever you hit the ground, the split second you hit it and hit jump again, you're back in the air. Yep. And it actually rewards that by having mechanisms where, you know, bouncing off enemies' heads and stuff Mm -hmm. for like better jumps. Like, yeah. So there's that part to it, but then also the exploration component, the Mm -hmm. component with all the, with the secrets. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I don't know. I think Sonic kind of wanted to have, and it just never worked for me. That one, the, the kind of, Impetus to go fast and have this momentum in that one was always in tension with the secrets in the levels, which did slow you down. Whereas for me and Mario, that was never intention. Those were kind of in perfect harmony. And there was so much pleasure playing the level either way, either slowly exploring everywhere Mm -hmm. or just blasting your way through. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, The other thing about Mario's that I really loved, and I I mentioned (laughs) Mario's. Mario's. What? It's okay. Just tell me about your Mario's. <laughs> I love Mario's. It's okay. Go on. I always loved, especially after kind of three and after the worlds of them, mm. the world maps that they would give you, the different zones. And we talked about this on um, Shadow of the Colossus when we were talking about boss fights, how much I love the, the Koopa kids and yeah. each of them taking over a zone. Yeah. I just, yeah, that kind of stuff. I just kind of really could place myself in those worlds imaginatively. And even though other games came out, even on the Super Nintendo, one we'll talk about later, Donkey Kong mm-hmm. Country, that had kind of better graphics, mm-hmm. the the kind of creativity of the world could really never match Mario's for me. That's really interesting because I feel like I feel the opposite way about the world specifically. Mm-hmm. Not not I don't necessarily think Donkey Kong Country is a better platformer, but I think on those specific criteria, I think that's actually part of what pulled me a little bit more passionately into the Donkey Kong games. But yeah, we'll get there. Okay, so this is what's kind of interesting because you have this intimate um, knowledge of the 2D Marios on the Super Nintendo mm-hmm. and then Super Mario World 2, the Yoshi's Island, kind of comes out tail end of Super Nintendo. Yep. And that's kind of also where you dropped off. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I, and I played that game obsessively. I know that game really, really well. Um, but then we get to the N64 and that's the that's 100% the era that I just never quite get fully on board with. I mean, I played a handful of N64 games. Like I definitely played like Mario Kart 64. I think I played like that Star Wars Pod Racer game <laughs> on N64. I played like a, a couple GoldenEye levels, but you know like I never mm-hmm. fully I never fully embrace this is where I drop off. Have you ever gone back and played a 3D Mario? Um, yeah, a bit, but not, the answer is a bit, but not fully. I have like moved a Mario in 3D space, mm-hmm. but I haven't done any of them to completion. I've played them enough to know that I have difficulty with depth. <laughs> depth is a challenge, especially when in the air. That would I say, I would say was my single biggest thing that I'm like, I need to learn how to do this better hmm. to like read depth. Okay, so that's your experience with Mario. Yeah. You talked about Donkey Kong before, and this is something that I know about you, and I think you mentioned this in episode zero. Mm -hmm. You have a really strong affinity for the Donkey Kong Country series, the 2D platformers, and I think you have, I don't know if necessarily more experience with those than with Mario, but I think that's kind of your bread and butter in the platforming genre. Yeah. I mean, especially Donkey Kong Country, like the original, that's one where I feel like even among people who like are gamers or whatever, I feel like I know more secrets than the average person. And I'm like, would be competitive with like other, I don't know. I I feel like I really, really know that game. Um, Yeah. I remember the first time I saw you 
playing it and it's before you really start to get back into games yeah you can still pick up a controller and roll right through those levels Yeah, yeah exactly exactly and i think I mean, I, I, so don't take this to mean that I don't, I don't really like the Marios because I do, but I think one of the things that stands out about the Donkey Kong Country games for me is like, I think I do on balance, although not always like the art better. And I think when you describe that as having better graphics, I think that actually is downplaying a little bit of the quality of the art and level design in a lot of those, in those games, because it's not just that they have a more advanced capabilities. They really like those worlds are so well put together. The music in those games is consistently phenomenal. Like, oh, of course. Yeah. The music is, the music is amazing. Top notch. And Mario also has some great themes, but like Donkey Kong country, like get out of here. It's so good. Um, and also a thing that I remember. So a, a lot of games that I played when I was really young, I remember liking them. I remember playing them a lot. But I don't know that I can really, like I said, articulate specific things that I remember liking about them. Donkey Kong Country, we have an exception to that, which is that I remember specifically thinking how cool it was that Donkey Kong and Diddy Kong feel different to play. Donkey Kong feels heavier. They have like Diddy has a a slightly higher and longer jump. But the key thing for me, I think, is that both of them felt viable, like they felt different in a non-trivial way. But there's never points in that game where you're like, oh, I'm screwed because I only have Donkey right now and not Diddy or vice versa. It's funny that you say that and that the one kind of 2D Mario you're not that familiar with is 2. Oh, yeah. Where you actually get the... Yeah. That's not, that wasn't initially supposed to be a Mario game. So it's a reskin of Doki Doki Panic. But right. you get the four characters that do feel very different and are all equally viable. Right. Um, yeah. Peach is OP. Her little... Her float she's so dress good. thing. Yeah, she's <laughs> by far the best character. Right. Um, yeah, and I mean, I, I fiddled with two a little bit. It never really, like, caught on with me. But, like, mm-hmm. I have, like, I know what you're talking about. I think, like, that thing about how the different characters feel different, I think that feels best for me in those early games. Like, that tightness, that little bit of variation between Donkey and Diddy. Like, you can have different ones that you want strategically in different moments, but it always feels elective. It doesn't feel forced. You don't feel cornered into, oh, I have to do this with this person. I mean, I'm I'm sure there's some, like... Person? This... (laughs) This Kong. I'm sure there are some like more sophisticated tricks that like, oh, you can only reach this barrel with Diddy or whatever. Like, I'm sure there is a level where it starts to matter a lot more. So did but- you like two better where you actually where there's Dixie and Diddy and Dixie's actually plays quite a bit differently? No. So that's the interesting thing. I mean, so I, I like that game a lot. Okay. Um, But I don't like it as much as Donkey Kong Country. And I think actually it's the... The small variation, not the big variation. Like in Donkey Kong Country 2, whenever I only had Diddy, I was disappointed. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to be Dixie all the time. Okay. Yeah. Because Dixie's like having Peach in Mario right. 2. Right. So powerful. The hair twirl, so powerful. Um, so that's the feeling of of like uh, inequality between the two characters okay. that I didn't feel in Donkey Kong Country. I guess for me in Donkey Kong Country, maybe it's because I never mastered the... Uh, roll into a leap thing oh i just always felt that it it just felt too heavy Mm. Uh, and i think that's donkey specifically yeah i mean just the movement in that game i it never felt as precise as something like mario like i never felt as in control it was like i was controlling an ape which i was 
instead of this character that's just an extension of my inputs. That makes sense. That makes sense. I think I actually like that weight. I like, um, like, if you cartwheel at the wrong time, you can cartwheel off a cliff really easily. Like, it, there's a, um, yeah, there's definitely a, a different feeling to those characters. I think that just on some level, like, worked for me. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like it just didn't work for you mm-hmm. quite as well, which is like fair. So as somebody who's such a big fan of the Donkey Kongs, uh, the Kongs, the DK crew, if you will. No, not the DK <laughs> crew. I know where you're going with this. Um, because one thing I do know about you is that you did dabble with one N64 platformer. I did. Because you need to revisit your favorite characters. And yep. you picked up Donkey Kong 64. I hated Donkey Kong 64. I hated it then. I hated it now. Can I tell you about how weird it was to pick up a Donkey Kong game and be like, this looks ugly. That is so bizarre and surreal. Like, and that's not me like thinking it looks ugly now. I mean, at the time, I bounced off it really quickly because I was like, this is ugly. This is clunky. The collectibles are annoying. They don't feel like rewards. They don't give this a good structure and replayable. They just feel arbitrary and the characters are tacky why is there a shitty rap song at the beginning like i just i excuse me yeah a shitty rap song at the beginning how many times you want me to say it i truly truly hated this game and i honestly i'm not trying to draw a line of causality here but isn't it funny that i bounced off (laughs) games (laughs) (laughs) completely right around this year. Okay, but all joking aside, I do think this might have been a contributor to my sense that games are going in a direction that just isn't for me. I mean, that's pretty speculative, but I just didn't want to play that game. I just remember being like, this isn't fun. There would be collectibles that you had to collect because that's what the game was, that it's not that we're only for one Kong, only one Kong could get them of this set of like four or five that you had. But it's not like... This is only gettable by this Kong because you have to use their special movement or special power to get it. It would be out where anyone could reach it. It just is like ghosted out unless you happen to be freaking clunky Kong or whatever that lanky Kong. And so you have to go find this stupid barrel and switch out which one you were. It was awful. It was horrible. It was horrible. (laughs) I felt like I would never love a Donkey Kong game again, which was wrong because then Tropical Freeze happened, which is one of the all time great platformers. But it would probably be mean and also kind of against the point of the show to have you go and replay Donkey Kong 64. I'm curious, though. Maybe one day we will. Or at the very least, maybe you can play one of the earlier rare N64 platformers like uh, Banjo-Kazooie or Banjo-Tooie. Okay. You got to see Conquer at some point. I don't think you want to play it, but you got to see it. Just because I even those earlier games get a lot of flack for being Mm collect-a-thons, I don't think they're so bad. I think Donkey Kong... 64, even though I haven't played it based on just what I know about it, I think that's the kind of collectathon mentality taken to an absurd extreme that just kind of defeats the purpose. Do you know if people liked it at the time? Because I this is the other thing. I, I, I have no idea what people I, were saying. I should go back and check. I think the fact that I didn't own it, I think, means <laughs> well, that people something. weren't going crazy right. about it positively. Right. right. I think it did get some positive press, but I don't think it was seen as on the same level level as the banjo games, which I 
okay. did have and really enjoyed and would have easily played another one of those. Okay, gotcha. Um, but yeah, I should go. I should go back and check. But maybe getting back to the topic at hand, Super Mario sixty four. Uh, before we get into some of the the larger context around it, what is it though that you know about it coming in? So you know that there are paintings, and you you jump in the paintings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know that. There's sort of a hub world that I think is your like base or whatever. And I think it's Peach's castle. Okay. I don't know why. I assume Peach is missing, just a guess. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why you're in her castle. But she's got all these paintings. And I think you jump through the painting to get to a world. And then I think in this one, there's worlds with like multiple collectibles. I think they're like stars or something. But there might be like five or something. And I think... Um, you have to collect, I think every time you collect one of the collectibles, that's like a little victory. And I think it boots you back into the castle, Okay, but I'm not sure. <laughs> it sounds like that would be annoying, it's but very, I don't know that it is. It's a very specific loop that you've remembered. Is yes. this from the speedruns? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> um, what do you, what do you think about that as, as a movement? And we can get into this a bit more later, but as a movement from, multiple levels where it's just right running from left mm-hmm. to right getting to the end hitting a goal and moving on versus revisiting the same space over and over again to to fulfill a number of different objectives. So I think what I would be worried about in that case is so you were you were saying that um a lot of what you liked about earlier Mario's and I agree with this is that you have the exploration so I think that part is going to be well served and preserved by this like cuz I think part of it is like finding this the stars or whatever also. I I hope that with this structure, they can also preserve that feeling of propulsive momentum of like going, going, going towards an objective or a goal. Like I hope, I hope I still get to feel that in this game. I hope that's not lost in moving to a structure that's not about getting to the end of a space. That's about finding things in the space, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I think that that sounds fine. That I'm I'm up for that basically. Sounds like it would be kind of annoying if it does in fact boot you back out into the castle after each one, but whatever. Um, but yeah, I still want to have that exhilarating like feeling of go of like ricocheting around and making those jumps and all that stuff. Cool. So is there anything else that you that you know about the game that you probably saw in a speed run? <laughs> <laughs> um so I don't know if you can do the stars or the worlds in any order or if you have a prescribed order. Like, I'm also not sure if it's like each time you go into a painting, there's only one star Mm. and it just, you get a different one the next time or if they're all there from the start and you can collect them in any order or if you can go to the paintings in any order. I don't, I'm going to guess that's not the case. I'm going to guess you have to do paintings in a certain order but maybe that you can do stars in a painting in any order. I think that's what I'm going to okay. guess. Um, I, I think at one point I have a memory of there being a big round hill that you can climb. And I think there's a star at the top. And I think you're running around the outside like a spiral and things are rolling down the hill like in your path into your way. I think that's one of them. Okay. Okay. And the last thing I was thinking about, which is is kind of feels odd is I can't picture any of the music from this game. Like even even from Galaxy and certainly from from Mario's that I played a lot of, the music's really memorable. I don't think I know I can't hum a song from this game, I don't think. 
Um, so I'm curious about that because Mario's have really good music also. Okay, I think you're I think you're in for a treat. Okay. Yeah, like I said, this is one of my favorite games of all time. It was also one of the games I was the most excited for of all time. <laughs> and when we come back, yeah, I'll tell you about my experience getting a hold of this game, getting a Nintendo 64, which is not as straightforward as I was hoping as great, a child. Great. And I can show you some of the things that made me so excited for this game. I'm so excited um, about this. If you want to see some cool, lucky cool. 90s kids going to visit some Nintendo and getting a sneak dude. <laughs> Yeah, these kids were my idols. And uh, so, yeah, let's take a break and we'll come back and, and talk about these <laughs> these kids and other things. These children. <laughs> and we're back to talk a bit more about the context of Super Mario 64. Over our break, we watched a promo video that we'll talk about in a bit. I would say that we watched a promotional VHS. Well, it was a VHS, but we didn't watch it in VHS. No, 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 no. We watched it on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) I would have watched it on VHS, probably so much so that I can't remember if the VHS just got destroyed because I watched (gasps) it so much or possibly. I interject. I expect your mom sabotaged this. It's very possible that I <laughs> nagged her so much about Nintendo 64 and I watched this so much and it just got me too excited about talking about the Nintendo 64 that I might have come home from school one day and it had been disappeared. I truly believe in my heart that that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's possible. Anyway, yeah. we'll talk about At that. At least you didn't pay $4 for it, which somebody else apparently yeah, I did. I didn't realize that you could purchase this. Bizarre. Anyway, we'll, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We'll get there. <laughs> But if you want to see the thing we're talking about before we talk about it, there is a link in the show notes. I do kind of suggest that you go and give it a few minutes of your time. Please it's go wild. watch it. You should. <laughs> you, you really should. Um, but before we talk about the promotion of the game, I do want to set up a little bit more of, of the context of the game's release just to maybe get you to appreciate how important and influential the release of this game was especially for the average kid at the time, a.k.a. me. You would describe yourself as the average child? Sure. Yeah, I was. <laughs> okay. I mean, I think that I think maybe the premise of this whole podcast is that you were not, but I was the let's continue. <laughs> average Nintendo consumer. That I that is child. That is credible. Please continue. <laughs> yeah, so when it comes to the release of Mario 64, there are really two big questions that framed most of the discussions around it. It was a pretty cut and dry story, like what the what the big issues were about this game. One question was, could Nintendo and Nintendo's most successful franchise successfully make the transition to 3D? Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that everybody was thinking about. The other was that would this game be good enough to sell the public on the Nintendo 64? Right. Um, especially with Sony and Sega also releasing mascot platformers that year. Who's the who are the other mascots, mascot platformers? Well, okay, so Sega obviously has Sonic. Yeah. But this year they're coming out with Nights into Dreams. Which I've never heard of. <laughs> Which is it's more of a cult classic. He didn't is really it weird pick that off I've, at, as it, a mascot. Is it weird that I've never heard of that? Not necessarily. Okay. It's uh he didn't he obviously didn't Yeah, he didn't catch he doesn't have the staying power, I think we could say. 
Yeah, I mean, people who love knights love knights. Okay. Uh, but I never had a Saturn. I never played knights. I know it's been re-released, so maybe we can both hmm. dig into knights at some point in the future. Sure. And then Sony was having their first mascot platformer. Uh, Crash. In the form of Crash Bandicoot. Bandicoot. Great. Who mm-hmm. I know is your favorite of all the mascots. Moving on. <laughs> so actually, while we're on the subject of mascots, one thing I was wondering is, is... Like, is Mario already established at this point as the big Nintendo mascot character? Like, I don't have a good sense of when that happens. Like, it feels to me like he always has been, but I I don't know that that's true. Yeah, he definitely is. I I mean, I'd say he was the mascot almost immediately upon the release of the NES, like with Super Mario Brothers. That was the thing that people almost immediately associated with Nintendo, for sure. And I mean, and this is kind of a big deal that... Up until this point, Nintendo systems, at least home consoles, had always been released with the Mario game as a pack-in. Oh, the NES right. had Super Mario Brothers. Right, right. Super Nintendo had uh, Super Mario World. Mm-hmm. And here we have Mario 64 coming out as a launch game, but not as a pack-in title. And there's a, there's, I know there's, I remember there being a little bit of controversy about that. Again, when you're not used to paying for a game or when you're used to yeah. getting a console with a pack-in game, it feels different when now you have to pay the extra at that time at least in Canadian funds, like almost $100 a cart. Sure. I did notice that the system was only $200 Canadian, which no, is... No, that's $200 US. US? Oh, yeah. okay. It would have been okay. about 300 Canadian. Okay. And I know this for a reason that we'll get into in a second. <laughs> Great. So really, you can't separate Super Mario 64 from the launch of the Nintendo 64. So maybe we should start there and talk a little bit about the launch of the N64. Though I would like to do... Hopefully in the future, a more in-depth chat about system launches. Cool. I mean, that's also timely for where we are right now. Some system launches uh, in the next year. Yeah. So do you remember anything about the Nintendo 64 launch? I remember you you mentioned earlier that you had one in the house. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you remember anything about the launch or how it got into your house? No. Okay. (laughs) Just like the flattest, dullest no. I'm sorry. I've, I've thought so hard about... How we got it, I don't remember. Because it is kind of weird that you're playing Super Nintendo at the time. Yep. And just, no, but you just have a complete gap. Yeah. Like, you didn't even really pick up the N64 when it did come into your house. There's kind of a blank there. No, like Mario Kart. That's We played a fair bit of that. That's okay. That's it. Yeah, I had pretty much the opposite experience. <laughs> okay. In the sense that I think this was the console that I was the most excited for ever in my life. Like up until now, including? Like yeah. forever. Just because I was the right age yeah. to be really excited. You know how kids can be yes. incredibly They have a level excited. that we can't access of. Like, I don't think yeah. I'll ever get there for anything right. again. Right. From the first whiffs of the N64 coming out, I try to follow the coverage, especially in Nintendo Power, which mm-hmm. is what I read mostly, mm-hmm. which was just like a hype rag right it's right? an ad for the company <laughs> so it just heightened me more it's just like sh- pouring sugar down yeah. my throat every time a new issue came out i was uh really wanting to get one and i saved up my own money to buy one but at first this was in the day and again like i'm from a rural part of the country mm-hmm, he is and so this is this is kind of back in the day where release dates global release dates weren't as meaningful as they are now where you couldn't necessarily be sure that on a certain day, a game or a console would be available in your country, especially in Canada. Like it wouldn't necessarily have physically made it to the store near no, you? No, like release dates, especially in Canada and especially kind of where I was from, Yeah, were kind of more of a suggestion. Okay. There are certain games that I had to wait months to get 
a hold of that were out in the U.S. on the date that they were supposed to be out, but they only made them their way to Canada months later. This is a common, common thing. Wild. And so I don't know if we didn't, if they didn't have them, or if they were sold out. But there were no N64s around me at launch. Whoa. Um, I didn't see one really until the new year. So it came out in North America in September 1996. I would have gotten mine either in December or early 19 or like January 1997. But the thing is, we went to the mall closest to us Mm -hmm. and into adjacent cities and nobody had it. So instead, we decided to take the trip to the US. Okay. Because we did live pretty close to the border. And so we went to the US and they actually had the system. Mm-hmm. So I remember taking this trip, going across the border, getting really excited, seeing the box in <laughs> one store. I do think we had to go to multiple stores to find a store that had them in stock. Wow. And we purchased it. And again, incredibly excited, like just brought it home. I was, just, I just remember kind of looking at the back of the box of the system. Right. That car little, ride home where you yeah, look at everything in such little detail. screenshots on the back. <laughs> and I also had Mario 64 in hand, of course. I mean, okay, that's right, the right. that's the reason I wanted the system. Right. If if it was just a pilot wing system, I probably would have waited. And so we get home and we take it out of the box. And this is the first system we had that used component cables. Oh. And nobody in my house really knew what those were. And I don't even know if we could have connected them to the TV that we had in the main room at that time. Oh, no. My mom couldn't connect it to the TV. She called a neighbor, couldn't connect it to the TV. We called my cousin to come over. Oh, no. He couldn't connect it to the TV. How big of a meltdown are you having at this point? I just remember sitting kind of on the floor, holding the controller. Oh, no. And thinking, well, at least I'm getting a feel for the controller. Oh, no. And I know my mom remembers this. She would probably describe it as really pathetic, which that's, is... That's how I would describe <laughs> it. <laughs> that I would just sit there holding the controller. Oh, no. And we never did get it connected to that TV. So the next day, we packed up the N64 in the box. Mm-hmm. We drove back to the US, back to the store. And my mom brought it in and found a guy in the electronics department and told him, can you please hook this up to a TV? If you do it, we'll just leave it connected and we'll buy the TV. Oh, my God. She's like, I cannot look at my child (laughs) sitting in the middle of the living room floor anymore. (laughs) And so a guy, yeah, connected it. And then we just picked up the TV. So we couldn't put the TV in a box because we just carried it out with the N64 still attached. And just (laughs) did not disconnect it. I mean, he showed us how to do it because we also, like, it was the first time we had to change an input. Okay, yeah, 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 right, right. Like, it was it was kind of mind-blowing how you had to connect this thing <laughs> at the time. And so we just brought it out of the store and then just brought it into the home. <laughs> and that's how I got my N64 and my own TV. <laughs> <laughs> this is the paradox of your mom. She's both not, will not listen to you whine and would have trashed that tape, but also will drive you to the US <laughs> the second day in a row to get a TV so you aren't disappointed about your N64. And probably so I'll shut up. And also, <laughs> right, right. This is a completely consistent portrait. And I mean, it was win-win because I did get this TV in my room, mm-hmm. which means that I couldn't hog the, oh, the family yeah, yeah, TV yeah. Right. with my N64. Gotcha. It, it, it just prevented a whole lot of fights. It was all She's for the like, best. She's like, this is fine. <laughs> Wow, that is incredible. So was it common in the States to have trouble getting these things or just in Canada? It was just in Canada. It was more reliable in the US to get them, at least at that time on the date 
that was the release date. Okay. Yeah. So we for games, especially, we take trips to the US quite a bit. Okay. Like we give it a week or two in Canada, and if it still wasn't out, we could probably reliably find it mm. just um, just across the border. Okay. Yeah. So as I mentioned, the N64 was released in North America in September of 1996. It was released in Japan a few months earlier at the end of June. But if you think back to our Super Metroid discussion, I think I mentioned there, right, even in 1994, and I think even earlier, maybe in 1993, is when you really got the first rumblings that Nintendo was working on this new system, Mm -hmm. Um, Project Reality, as it was initially codenamed. And then it was called Ultra 64, and then it just became Nintendo 64. Um, But those rumblings didn't really turn to something more tangible until 1995. I think it was the June 1995 issue of Nintendo Power that first published photos at least these are the first photos that I saw of mm-hmm. what the finished console would look like. Were you excited to like see what it looks like? Like what what did you understand at this age about uh, like what a new console meant? Was it just like, oh, look at all the stuff you can do? Did you start to learn about like specs? Like did you understand what it meant to be 64-bit at the time? Or was it just look at this new Mario game? I mean, there were no screenshots yet. Okay. At this point. It was just it was just the physical box, but we did know that it was going to be a 3D system. Okay. And that and that was kind of enough that it okay. was going to be there was going to be a significant gap okay. between the things I'm looking at now and the things that will exist on this system. Okay, cool. And then the first games were shown to the public in Japan in December 1995 at Shoshinkai, which then became Space World, which was Nintendo's big trade show that they did for a number of years. Okay. So in late 95, Nintendo Power would have pictures from that show and kind of some news from the show. And that's where we got our first glimpse at some more of the details, including our first look at the N64 controller. Hmm. Um, Did you remember this thing? Is this the one that has the three prongs? Yes. It has like three like hand grips? Yes. Okay. How long has it been since you've held one of those puppies? Like at the time. Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah, whatever. 20 years. Okay. Okay. More than that. Yeah. So I have one here for you to look at. Okay. Do you, do you remember kind of all of the the functions of it now that it now that you see it does it is it familiar like, to you I mean so yes definitely familiar I definitely forgot about the four different C buttons mm-hmm. the Which, the C arrows as we know from your time with the GameCube you love the the C so <laughs> inputs I can, on Nintendo I can controllers already tell that the C buttons are not going to be my enemy for this this extra joystick is going to be extra well, I guess not extra. It's just right in the middle. It's not where either of my hands go. I I don't like so this. I can't reach it easily with my. Thumbs. Yeah, you don't hold, you don't hold it like that. You would have. You don't remember how you hold these things. Are you serious? Yeah, like this. With I have my hands on the two outside guy. No, no. If you're going to use the joystick, you hold the middle grip. And so this was this was the thing that blew our minds, right? That it had this weird three grip design. Okay. And this that, is okay. Th- this is an exciting idea in practice. In theory, in practice, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, it's one of these things that at the time I remember thinking this is this is actually really comfortable. I haven't been back to this controller in years, so I'm excited to see if it still feels at all comfortable. Okay. So what they're trying to sell you when they first showed you this, because you look at this and you say, "How do you hold this?" Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so there are three different ways to hold it. You can hold it either right the the left and right handles. The most common one, which was holding the middle grip and the right side of the controller. So we're just letting this D-pad go? Yeah. Okay. And we have no L button in that case. Right. Yeah. But you do have the trigger at the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Z-trigger, which was also really um, exciting and innovative at the time. No, I get why that's cool. I understand that completely. And then the other configuration 
which is the center and the left, which I've never I never played right, any like, game like that. What game possibly? When yeah. they were pitching it, they Pilot would say wings. that you could <laughs> like you could move your character to the D-pad and then have really precise aiming. So possibly some shooters. Okay. It's possible this shooter game called Sin and Punishment used that. I cannot confirm. Okay. <laughs> no one knows. I definitely never played a game in that configuration. I think you could play some first person shooters like that. Okay. Um, I never did, but it's available to you, right? So these three different options. Okay. And then, of course, the most important part of it is in the middle, the the analog stick. Right. Which is the big innovation right. in 1996. Right, 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 right. This thing is weird. So I think it's going to take some time to get used to. So you might have to you know, wean yourself on it a bit. Mm-hmm. But again, that's why I really benefited from that time without the game working. Oh, where I could no. just sit on the floor. You still believe floor. that? Yeah, I think you should go tonight and just sit on the floor and just get, I'm not going get to. accustomed like, to the I, controller. Straight up, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I may start Mario 64 tonight. I'm not going to sit like a sad, disappointed child <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> Unless you'll buy me a new TV if I do that. That's <laughs> <laughs> so, right. This is I'm seeing this um, system in kind of these increments. So... One month, I see what the console looks like. The next month, I see what the controller looks like. And I see a few glimpses, a few kind of dirty screenshots of games. And then in Nintendo Power in January, we really get a first bigger look at Mario 64 out of Shoshinkai. These, I think, were the first screenshots I ever saw of the game. And I remember there's one. It was just Mario and Bowser facing off in in kind of Bowser's level Mm -hmm. and just remembering how big Bowser looked. Okay. This big polygonal Bowser. Right. How like amazing it looked at the time to me. <laughs> right, right, right. And just that kind of size difference. And and as you know from the the things we've looked at um, that we'll talk about in a bit, right? They didn't shy away at all from showing Bowser, showing the Bowser fights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was on that video too that we watched. Yeah, it was yeah. not a surprise. Um, Including like how you spin him by his tail. Yeah, this is something I also remember. Like, I knew exactly what the Bowser fights would look like. Yeah. This was something that was really part of the promotional machine. That really surprised me watching this video. Um, another thing I remember, um, I don't know if it was in this issue or if it was just... It was a, it was an image that kind of circulated in a lot of magazines. It was this image of Mario looking in a mirror, and you could see his reflection. Okay. And that blew my mind. Okay. Like, you don't even understand how impressive I, that was to me. I don't understand it at all. The other thing is when this... The thing is, in this article, I went and revisited this article from the first time Nintendo Power really had a, a close look at Mario 64. And the article also highlighted all of the new things that Mario can do, which seem hilariously mundane to us now. Right. For example, he can hide behind things or in trees. <laughs> he can circle around objects. Right, right. But for somebody, for a kid who didn't have a conception really of what Third person movement in 3D space could be or could allow like that. Right. That really just gets your imagination going. Right, right, right. right. In the in the article talked about how the game had an emphasis on secrets and exploration, which of course Great. I like. And really just said it's like being in another world. And that that really is the kind of experience I had with that game. So it was accurate. So this is something I was wondering about when we like are thinking about um making a Mario 3D. Um you know, a lot of these, a lot of these th- uh, things, like you know, hiding behind a tree or whatever, running around something, they follow much more like real world logics than like Mario two D Mario movement mm. logics. One of the things I was thinking about when you make a two D game like this three D is, I wonder if you have to like lose a level of the abstraction and create kind of a more realistic space. Like 
You know, in the early 2D Marios, like backgrounds are just like rounded rectangles and candy colors. And like you vaguely understand that they're hills or something, but like it doesn't really matter. Like nothing is, nothing is, they never work too hard to make anything look like what it's sort of supposed to be. When they make like a 3D Mario, do you have to make sort of a more rational space? I mean, I think the space itself has to be because the player can access more of it and is moving through more of it. But I think when you play, you'll see that there's still a certain level of abstraction going on. Okay, cool. Especially in these earlier ones when to a kid in 1996 looks like a game could never possibly look right. this good in a million years. Right. To somebody in 2020 looks just archaic and does look, I think, more abstract than you might think. But yeah, to me, um, just even imagining being Mario and being able to climb up a tree and hide in a tree or hide behind an object so an an enemy might not see me, that just, the possibilities seemed endless to me. Mm -hmm. Like you're going to be solid metal Mario in this game? I want to revisit that. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) Okay. Next episode. Okay. But yeah, so this is all the stuff that we're seeing coming out of Japan and then the really the next time that North American the North American public got to see the N64 and got to see Mario and play Mario was at E3 which was in May 1996 so just a month before it was actually released in Japan right and one thing i remember is the pre E3 issue of Nintendo Power mm-hmm. which was just a Nintendo 64 blowout issue they just had pages of all these new Nintendo 64 games sure um obviously Mario was the big feature this is maybe the issue of Nintendo Power I've read the most. I just, <laughs> I just like tore it. Like it just was, it was just shreds. Just crumbled by the time to was, dust. Yeah, I just look okay. at it so, so much. I actually have the image of that cover for you to look at. Okay. Because when you're talking about images that you had in your mind of Mario 64, you mem- you mentioned this kind of spiral hill and being kind of chased by these balls. Yeah. Right, and that's actually. Oh, right. I, di- I didn't say balls, but I did say stuff rolling down at you. Oh, stuff rolling down at you. What else would roll down? <laughs> I at don't you? know. <laughs> Those are these big cannonball things. But that is the cover of that issue. That yeah. issue, that cover's just ingrained in my mind. So I thought that was really funny that that's also Sounds one of the like images that, that you associate with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's it's funny how one of the images you have in your mind about what Mario is or Mario 64 is, is also one of the images that I, before, before I played the game, had in my mind about yeah. what I was going to see in the game. Yeah. Although I didn't remember the sort of brown rut that he's in. <laughs> like I remembered it just being like, <laughs> like a flat... A flat, like almost like a spiral staircase thing mm-hmm. around the outside. But yeah, no, that's definitely what I was thinking of. <laughs> and then um, there is kind of E3 happens where you get the N64. And E3 1996 for Nintendo is really interesting and really jarring because you have all of these N64 games, mm-hmm. but then you also have them showing these tail end Super Nintendo games. Mm. So at the same E3 that people are playing Mario 64, they're also playing Super Mario RPG. Whoa, weird. They're playing Donkey Kong Country 3. Oh. Um, I think they're playing Tetris Attack. I think that's also a tail end okay. Super Nintendo game. So it's one of these moments where, where the generation shift is incredibly obvious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And kind of as you get closer to the present, the shifts in generations get, I think, less and less stark. In this case, though, it was just, it was like you were living in two different universes. Right. Um, even though Super Mario RPG is uh, one of my favorite games yeah, of all time. Yeah, you love I, that I love game. it. But yeah. And that's really what held me over. Why I didn't really care or need the N64 on launch, because I think I was still playing Super Mario. Actually, I 100% was, because I would have got it for my birthday that year hmm. um, in October. So right after N64 was out, I was just getting Super Perfectly Mario Perfectly content with Absolutely, yeah. 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 I love that game so much. Yeah. 
And so coming out of E3, by and large, the previews for this game are are, are extremely positive. Uh, but there are some concerns about the difficulty of controlling Mario in 3D space and about the camera, um, right? As you kind of have, I think, your own reservations. I'm nodding, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but mostly critics are excited and optimistic that this game might be the game to establish the bar for third-person movement in 3D. Because 1996, as I mentioned, Crash is coming out. Though Crash Bandicoot is more, it's more of a, it plays more of like a 2D game than a 3D game. Okay. It plays more like a traditional platformer. You're not actually moving around 3D space. Like it's on a rail kind of? You never played Crash? You just have these prejudices and you, you haven't even met the guy? Moving on. Okay. Knights as well. There were kind of some... 3D exploration sections, but by and large, that played 2.5D. Okay. So Mario's really the only, at this time, real 3D platformer. I mean, Bubsy 3D also came out in 1996. Oh. But I think we just kind of put yeah. that in the dustbin of history. <laughs> okay. um, but 1996, other things that came out were Resident Evil. Mm. and Resident which, Evil 1? Resident Evil 1. Okay. Which, again, right, you're not, you're, you're not expecting the characters in Resident Evil to have the same kind of movement as no, Mario. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so some of the slightly clunkier movement controls actually play into the into the game. Right. We also have Tomb Raider coming out in 1996, which is an action platformer. Mm -hmm. And Lara Croft is kind of acrobatic mm -hmm. and just controls like it is the tank control. She does control like a tank. She oh. can, her movement is is I don't know, for me, even at the time, I could never control her properly. And especially having played Mario 64, to go and play something with those controls, mm -hmm. just, it did not work in my brain. It, okay. just, it just did not resonate. But given some of the um, the critics, right, they're optimistic, but they're also maybe wary. They're hoping this is going to work out. It might be worth talking about some of the challenges of creating a 3D Mario in a bit more in a bit more detail. Sure. Um, some of which you, you've already talked about and some of which the developers were, were keenly aware of as they were making it. Cool. I, I actually have a question about this. Yeah. Was it... So when when you're taking a long-standing and well-respected 2D franchise and turning it to 3D, is it is the staff like is the team the same? Do you bring on different people? Because like there were sort of 3D games before this, right? Like I'm thinking about early like almost like Doom or Wolfenstein or something where you. I mean, Doom and Wolfenstein are illusions of 3D. They're not actually they're not actually made in 3D space. Oh, okay. Um, the Quake. Quake is made in kind of a 3D engine. Okay. But that's a first-person shooter. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That's like, different. Right. So there are, I mean, and Nintendo has not made a 3D game. Okay. Yet. So are they, so what, I guess part of what I'm wondering is like, who, if you're Nintendo at this era, who is best placed to make, to bring Mario into 3D? Is it the team that has been succeeding at doing Mario in 2D? Do you, are there people with outside like 3D expertise you can even hire at this stage? Like, I mean, I assume they did at the programming level, but in terms of the high level direction, it was still Miyamoto mm -hmm. and, and, um, and Tezuka who mm -hmm. have been with the series since its inception. Okay. And I think this is the first game that, uh, Yoshiaki Koizumi was put on as the, his first Mario game he was put on. And he's the guy now he directed Mario since Galaxy. So he did Galaxy, okay. he did Odyssey. Okay. You'd, you'd recognize him from the Nintendo Directs. Sure. Uh, but so it was still pretty much this the core team with some new people. But overseeing it was still, it was still kind of Miyamoto's and Tezuka's baby. Okay. And again, right, Miyamoto himself had, wasn't doing anything kind of at the programming yeah, level, yeah, but yeah. was very much 
um, ingrained at the design level and in making sure that everything felt like it should. Cool. And so in some interviews, uh, he talks about the challenges of translating Mario to 3D. And one of the big things was this issue of jumping in 3D. Mm -hmm. And so in an interview, he says, um, here's how he kind of talks about the difference between moving from 2D to 3D. So he says, quote, in the Mario games up to now, we've carefully crafted every stage and level down to the individual pixel. Take jumping, for example. Implementing jumping in 3D is really difficult. In earlier Mario games, we were able to measure the number of pixels Mario can jump and know exactly what was possible. But this time we had to design the level so that as long as your jump was close enough, you'd make it. Mm. It was too hard for the player to judge. This is a design change we made in the middle of the development when the game was already very complete. There was a lot of booing from the staff. <laughs> but right, it's this idea that you have to cheat a little bit in yeah. 3D space just to make to make up for the deficiencies of yeah. the player. And I mean, it's not it's not really a deficiency of the player that they can't do pixel-perfect jumping in 3D. Right. But you have to account for that. No, it's just to make it feel the way other Marios felt, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Right, and... and the thing that you addressed, depth was the same thing. And one of the cheats they did that uh, Koizumi talks about is that they gave every object a shadow, mm. even if it made no sense in terms of where the light so the lighting source was in in the level, mm -hmm. just because they needed to give you something to help you judge your judge your depth. So that's to help track where you are relative to the ground. Like if I'm jumping, that little shadow is directly below where my character is. Is that right? Yeah. And then objects you'd be jumping on or towards would also be casting okay. a shadow okay. so that you'd get a sense of where everything was in relation to each other gotcha. just by looking at the shadows. Okay. The other thing they did, this was the first Mario where he could punch. Oh. That was also to help out so that jumping wasn't your only option to right. defeating, for example, a Goomba. Right. So if you were struggling with the jumping and kind of hitting the enemies exactly, you could just go and punch him in the okay. face. <laughs> Um, another thing they had to figure out, um, obviously, was the camera. Where's this 3D camera going to yeah. be? Right. This is kind of a one of the major changes from 2D to 3D mm -hmm. is now you're going to have the camera behind kind of behind Mario. And so Miyamoto again talks about this and he talks about how he wasn't sure how to give the same sort of Mario Brothers feeling in 3D. And so he says that quite a few months were spent just playing with different camera views, animations, ways of looking at the map. And he says that, quote, at some point. The game had a fixed path, almost like an isometric view, hmm. but that didn't look like it represented as much of a jump from the original 2D Mario. Okay. It's like an isometric view would be like what a, like what Mario RPG is. Right. Yeah. Which seems to be that half step mm -hmm. towards a full 3D camera. And I actually find jumping in that game from that angle much more difficult than jumping in actual 3D space. So I'm glad they yeah. went the direction they did for sure. And then finally, another of the big challenges that the developers talk about, and that I think is worth us thinking about, because it's something that comes up in all of our talks about games, pretty much. How do you give the player a sense of direction in right. 3D space? How do you guide the player, orient the player, and make sure that the player doesn't get lost when you're now putting them in this, this large open space? Mm -hmm. In a 2D game, it's so easy. You always know that, okay, if, usually in a Mario game, if I move to the right, yeah, you're going I'm, to the I'm right. good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and here you don't really have that luxury. So what what do you what do you do about that? So maybe while you're playing, it might be worth looking for little um, design techniques that sure. were used. Kind of think about how you know where to go and what sure. the game does to kind of keep you on a path, if it does or if it doesn't. Okay, cool. Um, but along these same lines, putting players in a 3D space for Miyamoto led to him having kind of a new philosophy about games. 
because he said that in the end, he really just wanted the player to be able to have fun if they were just fooling around. Hmm. And he wanted just kind of movement around the map in itself to be to be fun. In an interview, he talks about wanting players to just have fun doing, quote, pointless stuff. He says, quote, in this game, truth be told, we did something with Mario 64 that we don't usually do. We had children play test it. We had a row of about 10 middle schoolers and had them play around on, a ki- on King Bob-omb stage, which was the first stage for half a day. And we observed them from behind. First of all, this I think is wild that, but I think I'd heard this before that Nintendo doesn't really focus test their games with like their target audience. Right. They just kind of internally feel <laughs> like, it out and, and kind QA of know what it's it done. Until, right. Yeah. Which is so opposed to, I think, most American corporations' right, ways right. that would put it in front of a kid. And if a kid can't do something, they change it immediately. Right. Like, or, you know, you think about like movies and stuff yeah. being focus tested into oblivion with like kids. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, of these kids, Miyamoto says that my child was one of them, actually. Oh, God. And seeing him try dozens of times over and over to get up this unclimbable hill. As a parent, I couldn't help but think, geez, does this kid have any brains? <laughs> but afterwards, we asked the children what they thought of the game, and they said it was fun, and they wanted to play it again. And so he concludes, quote, up to now, I think there's been this image with games that if you can't beat it, it's not fun or a good game, right? Mm. That's a philosophy we stuck with at Nintendo, too, but I figured that if a game was this fun to play, even if you weren't getting anywhere, well, it must be all right. Until this game, I was very very skeptical about something like this being fun. Hmm. So his dumb, dumb kid kind of opened his eyes yeah. to the fact that sometimes <laughs> just messing around and using a game as a playground to experiment yeah. is, is really fun in itself. It's funny that it's like, oh, we had to remember what play is yeah. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> This sort of like aimless as opposed to objective driven sort of approach. Yeah. Right. It's also kind of related to this idea of moving away from having to do a pixel perfect jump. Yeah. 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 Just making sure that the player is having fun by getting close enough. It's an interesting like seeding of control. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Like instead of being able to craft every nuance of this player's experience where it's like, well, we put secrets there. You can find them or not. But basically you're going to have the path through this level that we decided Instead, it's like, we don't know what you're going to do. We don't know where you're going to go. We have no idea how you're going to like pressure test this thing. That's cool. That's mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah. So I'm excited to see you just play around in this mm-hmm. in this game. And so those are some of the things that developers and critics were thinking about before the game's release. But now it might be worth going into the ways the game was marketed. Sure. So trying to get the public on board to actually pick up this game and, and pick up a Nintendo 64 with it. Cool. So we looked at some, we looked at this video that we'll talk about in a bit. But for now, let's look at some of the some of the print ads. So I sent you two of the most prominent North American ads, the ads that I remember seeing. And so if you want to just quickly describe what you see again, these are in the show notes if you if you want to take a look. But just quickly describe what they see, and we can try to figure out what is the overall strategy here. <laughs> sure. So this first one I'm looking at is I think a two page spread, uh, white background, and it has some big text. The way he moves now, you better have a double jointed thumb. And it's got like little Mario's all over the place and all over the text in like every kind of movement position you can imagine. A little cutoff picture of the controller and some screenshots, some screenshots along the bottom. So what I really like about this ad is how they're really emphasizing all the new animations, all the new things Mario can do. Really making the case that, okay, now in 3D, this isn't your old Mario. It's not just running, jumping, climbing. He has all of these new moves and all these cool animations. And this is really a, a running theme. 
Yeah, he's in every position. He's faced every way. And actually, in the top right corner, you have like a little Bowser peeking onto the <laughs> page. Also, there's like a little cheeky playfulness with this also that I I kind of like. But then you have your like remnants of 90s advertising with the the snarky better have a double jointed thumb. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, this game is hard. <laughs> You're going to be a lamb steak <laughs> after you play this. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah, I would love to just. Is this all the same firm making these ads? Are they? Are they still they have one the same idea. firm from <laughs> from Super Metroid through the N sixty four? Right. Which just yeah, and again, it just seems so counter to this idea of just being playful in the world. That, yeah, and this like friendliness. Yeah. And, like we want middle school. Although I guess I guess like that mean streak fits with middle schoolers <laughs> also, yeah. but. Okay, and then I sent you another one. So this one says, on September 30th, dinosaurs will fly. And it has a little globe with uh, the real world with Mario standing on it. And he's tossing, he's like got a Bowser by the tail and is like swinging him around. But he doesn't, like Bowser looks very different than he does in most like depictions. Like he's got. Oh yeah, it's the, the art style is really stylized. Yeah, yeah. And and not in a in a traditional nintendo kind of way yeah i remember seeing this and first of all wondering wait bowser's a dinosaur <laughs> right right like sure like i don't no, think koopas are dragon or something dinosaurs. Is that and like yoshi's a dinosaur is he yeah because he lives in dino world okay yeah yeah, yeah 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 but i don't think bowser is ever a dinosaur i guess i sort of thought that koopa was almost like a species in this universe because mm -hmm. there's like the koopa kids there's koopa troopers I wouldn't have called Bowser a dinosaur for sure. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. We gotta. We gotta figure out this lore. But the other thing is again this giving away pretty much how you yeah, fight Bowser. Yeah, again this mechanic. They're really happy they came up with this, and they want everyone to know that you're gonna do that. And that. And I, I read this in an interview. I can't remember where, but um, another thing that one of the developers talked about as a way to get around the fact that maybe it's harder to jump as Mario is that we don't have to have him jump in the Bowser fight. We can actually have a. Mm. We can use the 3D space, have him run behind Bowser, grab right, his tail, right. do some swinging. So I just remember that ad as, again, really trying to communicate the 3D-ness of, of the game. Yeah. But but really, we're bearing the lead here. The thing I really want to talk about is this VHS video. <laughs> I want to talk about this video, too. This video is wild. This is a video that came to me in the mail. It was It went out to Nintendo Power subscribers. And it was a 15-minute or so promotional video about the Nintendo 64. And I know Nintendo Power sent out other of these videos. This is the only one I think I ever got. I don't know why. Okay. I'm glad I got this. Do you this. feel upset about that? A little bit now, knowing that there's all these other ones. Like, I never got a Donkey Kong Country one. I never got a Diddy, Diddy Kong, Kong Racing, Racing one. We saw that one. I never got a Majora's Mask one. I think there's a Majora's Mask that one. That seems cool. If they did a Zelda one, I didn't get it. <laughs> but I did get this one. <laughs> And I watched it about a thousand times. Okay. <laughs> I would watch it and just rewind it and watch it and rewind it. Just the whole thing or just the Mario 64 part? The whole thing. Okay. The whole thing. I was so excited for the system. I think it does, for a kid, an incredible job at selling this system and explaining why you need to buy this. Well, interesting. One of the the sort of foundational concept of the video is to take like a bunch of middle school kids oh, yeah, so and treat them like they're like the center of the universe. Yeah, so let's set up the premise of this video. Okay. Is that it starts with, okay, the Nintendo 64 has been released in Japan, but it it's coming to America and we need to sell it to 
North American yeah, teens yeah. <laughs> in this case. And so Nintendo has brought three of three expert gamers yeah. to their headquarters to test out the Nintendo 64. And these gamers, I don't even know their real names, but I did write down their, their gamer tags. <laughs> One or of them is Steve Greaves. That's a great name. It's a horrible name. Um, I noted that their name are all kind of like bad porn names. Like Finger Blast. <laughs> well, there's Quick Finger. Quick Finger. Extended sorry. Play. Ugh. And Game Face. Ew. And they're all brought to this weird warehouse. They're like, what, 15? Between 15 and 30, who knows? <laughs> Somewhere in that range. Yep. Mm-hmm. They're brought to this warehouse that's apparently well, Nintendo headquarters. They get out of a limo. Right. Someone opens the door to this limo and these three dinguses get out of it one after one and they get like a a rogues gallery profile of like yeah. who they are. Yeah. And they enter this and waiting for them is this sexy secretary. <laughs> 90 1996. Oh yeah, like not I I'm not like I'm not saying receptionist because this is not a receptionist. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. Is this a is yes, secretary. Yes. This is a blonde high ponytail, cleavage out, heels yeah. on. Yeah, but but also it's so grainy you can't really see anything. <laughs> and like this is supposed to be Nintendo, like a, a major corporation, but she has this like shitty fold up table in the yeah, corner yeah, yeah, with yeah. A, like the computer and a phone. And on it, it looks like it's just in like a um an office park that's like yeah. you know with a parking lot and there's like a bunch of like low rent buildings around. It's like all cream and gray. And she's like, gentlemen, we've been expecting you. Like, yeah. it's like this, oh, right this way, sir. Yeah. And then she brings them on. And and while the, while they're being led to wherever they're being led to, the uh, the narrator says that you're, you're going to be exposed to Nintendo 64. And he says, 64-bit technology, 360-degree viewing, three-dimensional graphical <laughs> interpretations. <laughs> okay. Anti-aliasing. Like, what these were things... The- this is what I call playground jargon. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like these are the things that you talk about in the playground when you're trying to hype something up. Can or you like, believe that aliasing? <laughs> or like tell your friends why the system you have is better than the system they have, but you don't know what any of this right, means. Right. And often it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Graphical interpretations. <laughs> it's like with the with the Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis, the big thing that the Sega Genesis was pushing was blast processing. Okay. I don't know what the I don't even know if that's a real thing. I mean, we still have this with Microsoft and their Terraflop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just about to say, yeah. Yeah. Playground jargon is the best. Great. I wish I had kept three-dimensional graphical interpretation <laughs> in my pocket to use with my friends. It's good. And then in my notes, I have that, uh, so the kids are there and that Igor arrives. Yeah. He's this, like, weird exec, I think he's supposed to be or something, but he's like, master. <laughs> <laughs> like, not literally that, but he's got this weird, unplaceable, semi-Russian accent and just like welcomes them to like he's not he's just like another intermediary yeah and then he like beckons them into the first room (laughs) yeah and then they go into this dark creepy room that just has a tv with mario's face on it yeah and then creepy ken lob shows oh my god he like brushes his hair out of his face and flips it back and is like hey kids you want to see something (laughs) cool i was like whoa these children are in danger (laughs) yeah i'm like Ken Lobb was everywhere. He was like a he was one of those David Perry types that was like one of these game execs who would just be on shows. Well, you can tell why with the rock charisma <laughs> like, that just oozes off him. I I love Ken Lobb everywhere. Um Ken Lobb now works for Microsoft Silver Fox. He looks great. Great. Um this not is not personal. his best. This is not I'm his best. Just showing. a bad depiction. 
It's not his fault. Also, oh, the you never get to see the three kids talk, but you hear their voices dubbed over constantly and by voice actors who clearly are not those children. <laughs> and they made sure to recruit one black child so they could do super stereotypical 90s like hype stuff. Yeah, it's so bizarre. That's, that's the other thing. This video, if you entered a contest that was about make a video that looked like it was from the 90s, yeah. you submitted this video, you'd be disqualified for being too much of a parody. Yeah. They'd be like, this isn't real. This is just like what you think the 90s is. Like, no, this is yeah. like... You need to you need to see this. But anyway, Ken Lobb shows them. And the first thing he shows them, he's like, I could talk about the anti-aliasing and the 3D graphical <laughs> interpretations, but let's just get into the game so you can see it. That's my favorite part. Yeah. It's like, what? Your favorite part of what? And so the first thing he shows them is the controller. And again, really trying to sell the analog controller using Mario. And the first thing he shows them is that when you're moving Mario, if you just you can just push a little bit and it'll tiptoe. <laughs> And then you can push a little bit more and it'll get into a walk. And then if you push it the full way, he'll run. You're laughing. This was mind-blowing. Did Mario not have speeds before? I, I can't remember. Yeah, this is hold- one of those things that, like, once you see them pointing that out, you're like, wait, did SNES Mario's not have, like, different speeds? He said walk where you Mar- could hold the run button, he could run. But there was no gradations. There, It was just, right, it's just a digital pad. It's like run is off or this on. This is like my brain has, like, read in speed control into these, like, earlier yeah, he Mario's. has two speeds here he has gradations of speed an analog this control made me feel crazy <laughs> seeing this, this was this is like in this is like the exact same thing as you being like his reflection had a mirror and i'm like okay and what what was weird about it what happened had a reflection. In the reflection and then so he shows that and then he starts showing mario's new moves like his long jump yep like his triple sow cow yeah <laughs> He names the like gymnastic. I don't think it is a triple sound. No, cow, that's but- a figure skating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he like names what the gymnastic like backhand spring <laughs> jump is. It's like okay. Yeah, but again, blew my mind. Mario's doing backflips. Yeah, he's long jumping. He's he's got his butt stomp that he had in uh, Yoshi's Island. Uh-huh. It's back now. He's doing it. Mm-hmm. It's great. And then uh, and then he says, "I can do a ton of stuff with Mario." Ugh. And then he shows they show them the Bowser fight. Like yeah. the full Bowser yeah, yeah, fight. Yeah. Like they show you fully how you... In the space, grabbing the tail, swinging him around, yeah. throwing him like off screen. But again, doing the 360. Oh, yeah. And he does a 360 around with Mario before and all the kids go simultaneously, 360. And then when I, uh, they'll keep calling him Little Man. Yeah. You call him Mario Little Man. <laughs> it's weird. Show us your skills, Little Man. <laughs> yeah. Show us your skills, Little Man. It was weird. They also do... There's like a... a um montage of different scenes of different stuff and they do this thing where they have like two or three repeating increasing zoom in shots on the uh on the control the analog, analog stick. Stick. yeah <laughs> it's like whoa whoa this was awesome it's a lot is what it is honestly i remember you laughing when they opened the door because they they love <laughs> okay so at the end of the the um the guy lob being showing them the sow cow and all that stuff at the end of it, after all this stuff, you can do backflips, you can do zoom jumps, whatever the heck. Um, one of the kids is like, and look at him going through that door. <laughs> it's just like, it's just Mario going through a wooden door. Okay. You like, laugh? Here's why this is this awesome. This is the most anticlimactic thing. Here's why this is awesome. Did you see that little man go through that door? First of all, the animation. Great animation. <laughs> sure. Second, no loading. And this is actually a huge selling point of the N64 and one of the ways they were trying to differentiate themselves from CD-based media like the like the PlayStation. Okay. 
where like the whole world is just loaded into the game. He can open a door and go between spaces, no loading. You can't do that in Resident Evil. You open a door in Resident Evil, you gotta look. Yeah, That's, you get that, that annoying that, that animation. Screen, that, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Here, Mario just goes, okay. opens the door, just walks right into the other room. Okay, I guess I'm wrong to not be that impressed by seeing Mario go through a door. I am wrong. Yeah, change the system. <laughs> That's the other thing. What the heck? Okay, so in this, the like the tagline over and over again in this ad is like, change the system, blah, blah, blah. It's like in all the marketing for this, there's so much weird, like, uh, like almost anti-oppressive, yeah. like the actual- political revolution stuff. Like in the year of our Lord 2020, it sounds insane to hear that for so, like a console is that maybe we can put the sh- in the show notes the the commercial i didn't want to show you the commercial because i think at at some point there are too many you've yeah, seen yeah, too yeah, much yeah um so i didn't want to put that there there's some things i want to leave to your imagination um but yeah that commercial had all of this all we of this, will like, not be stay in two dimensions yeah or like we, we will, will yeah, rise like, up like yeah like We'll see the world from a different point of view. Yeah, like, all of these things that sh- that could be like revolutionary language. Yeah, that p- is put in service of buying a console. Yeah, yeah, it really does. I did not notice that at the time. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna change. Well, the sure, yeah, yeah. But You're like 11 or whatever, but I'm gonna buy a Nintendo 64. At the- <laughs> yeah, but like at this stage, it it is off putting. Yeah, it, it was weird. Yeah, it's real weird. I mean, a thing that generally is I think is weird about um video game media and like how they promote themselves it seems to me and i'm interested in in what you think about this it seems to me that maybe this was always true that video games in the sense of how companies advertise to consumers have a very different relationship with consumers than a lot of other types of media for example i don't know that i can't imagine a world where like a movie company allows people to send them $4 and will mail them a VHS full of trailers. Like where there are people paying for access to ads or where like, I think about this so much when it comes to things like E3, right? Like E3, I love E3. Like I, every year I think about taking time off work to be able to stay home and watch E3. Like I'm, I'm fully implicated in this, but like that's, those are our companies allowing us to watch the trailers they made for stuff that they would like us to pay 80 or $90 Canadian or $60 US for, right? Like it's, it's, it's weird. Um, and I almost feel like, okay, here's the example. Here's the example. You paid for Nintendo power, right? Mm-hmm. That's not a free magazine. <laughs> no, I mean, it's also informative. No, I'm, I'm sure but, that's true. Oh, but absolutely. Like as a kid, I, I would pay to be advertised to be to. marketed to this oh, is yeah. this is what i'm trying to get at like you, we have it we're like please please market to me like i just want to receive you in the year 2020 you get ken lob to get some teens in a room to show them a new game i'll pay five <laughs> bucks for that it's it's so weird and one of the weirdest things about like some of the history stuff we've talked about on this show so far is me realizing that like i guess i just assumed this was like a very 21st century like everything's like the crudest form of capitalism now but it's like no this was always like at least right now i'm not paying for a magazine that is just ads for nintendo and I mean, stuff the thing you have to remember too about this time is that there's no way for us to see these games in motion right 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 we can't they're not tied to it's not like you go to the movie theater and see movie trailers right there's a place right. for that 
It's like you you wait for your magazines or 1996. I didn't have the internet yet. Yeah, I was going to ask uh, about this. The people who did at the most are seeing a little crappy QuickTime. So 1996 was the year we got a computer with internet in my house. Okay. Yeah, I don't have internet yet in 1996. We sure. can't get in our town. Right. Um. So yeah, it was a privilege to be mailed these commercials. <laughs> So I could watch them on my VHS player. You see why that is continually strange to me, though? Like, do you see what's fundamentally bizarre about that relationship? Oh, it's absolutely bizarre. Um, it's just like a constant and it's still pleasurable. Uh, no, I agree. I agree. But it is But it is bonkers. Yeah. And it's like, if somebody mailed me like a commercial about a car. Right. <laughs> Right. I'm like, offended of like the, the cost that went into that, the waste. Remember like, when you two gave us their album for free? Oh yeah, that was digital. I deleted I it immediately. It. I was like, how dare you? I feel violated. <laughs> like, I was like, I hate this. Get and they actually gave you a full that product. That was product. That wasn't even an ad. It wasn't like, please listen to a sample. Okay. Are you excited as these kids were to play Mario 64? Or are you as excited? Okay. I don't think you could be okay, as excited. I'm not 12. So I don't have it in my body to be as excited as these kids were. But, or as I was. Or as you were. But I am stoked to play this game. Okay, let's do some... Especially, I've had a hankering for some Mario lately, so I think I'm in the right headspace. Whoa. Yeah. Okay, are you looking up you one of the do... horny names? To I can do a ton of stuff with Mario. Stop this. Stop it. That was a child. That was Ken Lobb who said that. <laughs> okay, let's do, some, let's do some predictions. I think you've already seen quite a bit of this game. So these may be too easy and hopefully trip you up on some of them. So one, name one environment you'll explore that's not ice, water, lava, or desert. Um, factory, industrial. Okay. Um, if you look on the, maybe you don't know this, but if you look on the box art, you can see that Mario can fly. He has a, a wing cap. Okay. Um, but I'll tell you that there are other cap power-ups. Okay. So what do you think one of the other cat power-ups will let you do? So one lets you fly, another one lets you do what? Um, swim faster or without needing air. Okay, three. Will Luigi make an appearance? No. Four. Will you ride Yoshi? No. No Yoshi. No Yoshi? No Yoshi. I'm saying Yoshi's not in this. Okay. Six. Will oh, you I know that was wrong. As soon as I said it, I know it's wrong. I'm sticking with it, but I know that was wrong. How do you know it's wrong? I just feel it in my gut, but I said it. <laughs> I, I, it's fine. It's. I said no. Okay. Will you see Mario without his hat? No. Will you go down a pipe? Yes, of course. And then what is one thing, and this could be a character, a mechanic, an idea from a 2D Mario game that you hope is here? Oh, um, uh, some sort of like race or speed driven mechanic where like you have to crank through a space sort of at top speed like you're holding down the run yeah, button yeah yeah kind of yeah through. yeah yeah okay and finally what is the premise of this game so <laughs> it starts with mario going to peach's castle for some reason mm -hmm. what is the reason uh, like i feel like the boring answer is like she's missing uh so instead i'm gonna say her birthday party Okay. Yep. Sounds good. Mm -hmm. We'll see how you did next time. But yeah. for now, I think it's time for you to go start the game. Yeah. No, I'm excited about this one. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can find updates and show notes at neverwasagamer.com. Follow us on Twitter at neverwasagamer. 
And if you want to, you could rate and review us on any podcast platform, including iTunes or Apple Podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, maybe tell a friend. All those things are a huge help and we appreciate them a lot. Yeah, thanks so much for listening. Apologies to Ken Lobb and those teens. It's not his fault, really. No, they're trapped forever in that 90s video. (laughs) We're all trapped forever in the 90s in some form of picture or media that we'd like to forget. This Mm -hmm. just happens to be on the internet. Mm -hmm. Sorry, guys. But we'll see you next time when Michelle will hopefully be one step closer to becoming a gamer. Mm -hmm.